Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Hey, hey, welcome in. It is indeed Downtown, the podcast, episode number 188 from the luxurious and historic Zone Radio studios in Bangor, Maine. Rich Kimball here along with Carrie Haskell. Episode number 188, like all the others, brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. A couple of great conversations for you on the podcast this week. Second half, baseball insider Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs will talk about this year's candidates for the Baseball Hall of Fame. He's also the author of the Cooperstown Casebook, knows it better than most. Up first, though, one of her favorites on both the podcast and our radio show, the very talented writer David Roth of Defector.com, the co-host of the Distraction Podcast. We talked with David about, well, Major League Baseball, their lockout, early stages of the NBA season, and much more. Here is David Roth on Downtown. Hey, how's it going? Doing well, thank you. How did the uh, live recording of the podcast go? We had a really good time. Uh, it still feels weird to be in a room with a bunch of people, like let alone people that have paid money to watch you record a podcast, which is, I don't like the kink shame. That's their business. They can do whatever they want with the, <laughs> the money that they make. But just being in a space, like even though, you know, it was like they checked vaccinations and, you know, people were wearing masks, you know, at the tables where the recording was being held and all that. Still just, I don't know, I'm still getting used to it. I like it. It's a good feeling. But it is weird that there's still this kind of hangover on it. Like, you know, you know, and then if I'm not talking or responding to something, I'm kind of like, wow, there's a lot of people in here, huh? Like, is that, is that wise? Yeah, my wife and I went to a play last weekend, and it was the same thing. Everybody had to be vaxxed and, and uh, proof of uh, vaccination, and I think, or, or a negative test to get in. Everybody was masking, and yet... I found myself for the first, I don't know, half hour or 45 minutes saying, why are there so many people and why are they so damn close to me? <laughs> no, it really is. I mean, I think that will go away. I know um, I went to my first live music, uh, my first rock show in two years, you know, and that was like just a couple of weeks ago. And it was the same sort of thing, you know, from where we started, you know, just like being in there, you know, I wasn't in the, the mosh pit. I'm not a young man, but there was like, there were enough people in there that at the same time, like, you know, I was having those thoughts. And then at some point, you know, like it just takes over, which I noticed that you didn't say for the entire play you were thinking about. Right. It. At well, some yeah. point, right. It's like the things that you love, you love enough that eventually like you remember yourself, you know, but it is still like this bit to fight through that's kind of. I don't know. I can't wait to not have to fight through it. That'll be a fun day. I'm guessing, you know, turn of the, the next decade, we've got a shot at that, the way things are going. Yeah, yeah, that'll be good. While, while we're all still young-ish. Yeah. Not young at all, actually. We'll, we'll all be quite old. I've, I've long passed that uh, stop on the highway here. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, well, so much to discuss. Let's begin with Major League Baseball. Wow, labor peace, 26 years. Nah, that's just not enough for Rob Manfred. He wants to find a way to to screw things up. Uh, I don't know. Both sides have their share of blame in this, but I look at a bad commissioner and an awful group of owners. It's an awful commissioner. I mean, I think with Manfred, it's, it's worth remembering. I mean, no commissioner, I think that oversees a lockout is doing the commissioner's job, right? Like just on the, in the broader scope of things, obviously they work for the owners. They're going to do what the owners want. And that's what Manfred is doing here. But I think, Broadly speaking, for the health of the game, just in terms of like making baseball fun to watch, economically healthy, and something that 
just has a, a sort of a happy claim on its place in American culture. Like this is still the summer sport, you know, like people like me grew up caring about it in ways that they don't care about other sports. And I think for as long as Manfred has been in charge, the vibe has been off, like not in some, you know, like woo woo crystal visions way either. Like he doesn't really seem to like baseball very much. And the general tenor of things has just been sour all the way through. And, you know, of course, like this is the apotheosis of that. Like it doesn't get more bad vibes than like a labor lockout in early December, but it is frustrating to me to see how reckless he and the owners are being with the health of the sport. Cause like they've got their own interests, you know, and they're going to be rich no matter what happens. Like, I kind of would like to be able to keep enjoying baseball, <laughs> you know, like I have a lot mm. of riding on it. Like I don't really have a lot of stuff booked for July and August as a general rule. So it's frustrating to me to see them messing around with it the way that they are. Now, if they can figure things out and have a 2022 season, well, your Mets have gotten a lot more interesting in the last couple of weeks. More interesting. I'm not sure how much better. I mean, they have gotten better, but it's, there's something really sort of strange about what's going on there right now. I think there's like maybe five people in that front office that think of themselves as being the actual GM up to and including the owner of the team and like maybe not including the guy that they literally hired to be the GM. <laughs> so there's, it's a confusing moment, but they did come out of it with Max Scherzer. That's cool. Uh, they did come out of it with Eduardo Escobar, who I've learned is such a big fan of Fogo de Chao that he has a special card that lets him eat for free at every <laughs> Fogo de Chao in the United States. Wow. So I'm really looking forward to cheering for that guy. Imagine how much work you have to put in on Instagram to get them to <laughs> send you the Fogo de Chao black card. <laughs> that's commitment. I like that. It really is. I mean, like that's he's got as soon as the bat slows down and he's no longer a viable big leaguer, like if he just wanted to become a beef influencer. I think that there's a really uh, rich future in that for him. <laughs> uh, what do you think will happen with the Hall of Fame vote this year? Will we begin to see some of what, what I guess we we're calling the steroid era guys get in? I feel like we're trending in that direction. I've been looking at the ballots, you know, the, the people, the writers that post their ballots online. It always seems like the only ones that I ever see are just the most perverse ones in the world. Like where just a guy who only votes for like Omar Vizquel and Tory Hunter. And he's like, I don't have to tell you why I do what I do. You know? And I know that there's like, there's enough worthy candidates on this that like they could put 10 guys into the hall next year and I would feel fine about it. But it's been such a laborious process of like working their way towards the idea of like, getting cool with some of the steroid guys going in like, and to me, you know, the use of the hall of fame, I happen to love the hall of fame as a museum, I think as an institution and as like a sort of a collection of plaques, it's the absolute worst of baseball. I mean, just again, kind of like sour, bad vibes, like gatekeeping type stuff. <laughs> yeah. But the, the reason the museum is cool is that it's all in there. You know, like the Black Sox are in there. The like the moments that are like low points in the game are there. And I don't think of the steroid era as being an especially low point. But I do think if you're trying to tell the story of the last, you know, three decades of baseball, like you can't do it without Roger Clemens and probably also without Mark McGuire in there. Or Sammy Sosa, I guess. I mean, but at this point that's a that's a bigger haul than it seems like most of the voters are are willing to sign off on. I'm just kind of hoping that like Scott Rowland 
will make it. Like these guys that I think deserve it, but are having just being put through the ringer for no particular reason. I'm with you on that. We're talking with David Roth here on downtown. Uh, the NBA season rolls along. I don't, I don't know how close you're watching. It feels to me like there are about uh, a dozen teams that are two games over 500 and that's the league right now. I mean, there's the Warriors and the Suns seem incredibly good, mm. but they play late at night. And as I've mentioned earlier, I'm in my golden years. So like I haven't really <laughs> been able to do as much watching of that as I might have. Eastern Conference uh, feeling very Eastern Conference, not necessarily in the ways that you want. But someone pointed out the other day, it was my coworkers, that like a lot of the teams that are like 11 and 10 right now are actually super fun to watch. They're not good exactly. But like this is like the Timberwolves, for instance, or the sort of thing where like you wouldn't unless you had lead pass or were in the greater Twin Cities area or had, you know, some sort of uh, perverse attraction to watching, you know, central time zone sports. You wouldn't think to cross the street for the Timberwolves, but they're, they're cool. Like they're Anthony Edwards is great. Carl Anthony Towns is playing great. They figured out how to hide D'Angelo Russell on defense <laughs> enough that he's not hurting the team. But it's also like. I'm aware that this is like very much like winter sports with no baseball happening. Like I'm talking myself into the Timberwolves in real time. Like I could do anything else. You know what I mean? With my life, right. this is what I've chosen to do. But some of those mid-tier teams, like I think are worth a watch, even if they're not, you know, likely to win a championship. All right. Let's, uh, let's veer in a different direction here. Uh, are right now, are there Republican politicians uh, figuring out the best way to pose their family with automatic weapons for that crucial Christmas card. God, it's so really perverse. The So there's two big ones. Do you have a favorite between the Thomas Massey uh, AR-15 Christmas photo and the Bobert family AR-15 Christmas photo? I think in terms of the bizarre, I have to go with the Thomas Massey family because they, first of all, because of the proximity to the Michigan school shooting, you have to admire uh, their their efforts to get it out there quickly while everything was yeah. still fresh. And then just the joy in their faces with doing something they know that will horrify a good percentage of the population. You, you have to give them a tip of the cap for that. Yeah, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head with that one. I mean, there's something about Massey is one of those guys. It's the sort of thing where, like, you want to say that this is, like, a symbol of our moment and, you know, like, how bad everything is. And, like, it's definitely a symbol of our moment and how bad everything is. Like, I don't want to take away from that. There's always been, like, clown congressmen, like people that districts elect just because they don't want them in the district most of the year. <laughs> like, that's the one thing that I think you can say for, like, Thomas Massey's district is that, like, I don't know, 35 weeks out of the year, like, he's gone. Like, all week, you don't, there's zero chance you're going to see him at the supermarket. And that's a win for them, I guess. But he's not delivering much on anything else. I mean, like, most of what he does, it seems like, is designed. He has, like, sort of adult libertarian disease, like, where he just, like, lives to <laughs> kind of, like, outrage other people in his peer group in a way that mostly just, like, bores and annoys them. But, like, obviously, it's working for him. To me, the Bobert picture is weirder, not just because of, like, how bizarre their, their home is. Like, it looks like a like one of those like seventies Cronenberg movies where everything's really Brown and there's like carpeting on the ceiling. <laughs> like it's a strange house, Yes, but it's also like those kids are not into that photo. Like whatever you can say for Thomas Massey's family and like the very young children that he's handled, handed, you know, very high powered firearms to like they're ta they're wearing their sweaters and they're doing the Christmas card thing. 
like Bobert, it looks like almost like a candid photo. Like the whole family's just patrolling the house, like weapons free. And at some point, right. her husband's like, you know what? Let's get a picture of all this. I right. think Tom Massey will like it. Right. I think you know, Lauren Bobert said, uh, arm up. There are, there are communists outside. You need to be ready at all times. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, you mean like the mailman, right? Right. Or you mean like the, the neighbors that don't like to make eye contact with us? All it's of bizarre with all of that stuff. Just seeing how um, unhappy and kind of like, I mean, everybody's pretty unhappy right now. You know, like we're on month 19 of a pandemic. Like it's not, no one's exactly getting what they want. And yet like to go around uh, the way that Lauren Boebert seems to go around, like just the idea of being constantly mad at people right. that you work near and disgusted <laughs> by everything because of how much TV you watch. Like at some point, like you could just do something else like join a bowling league or something. Right. You no, can I, still be in Congress. Even I like, thought, you could just be like 60% less mad by making two really easy choices and probably like live longer. I thought it was interesting this week that Dan Crenshaw, who I've always thought of as a performance artist, called out some of them for being just that performance artists and grifters is he just a wee bit smarter than the others and realizes how this will all end? I think maybe. I'm not sure how this is all going to end, to be honest. I do think that he is aware. I, I do think you're right that he is playing a character, you know, and that he's got this idea of sort of being like the, you know, epic Marine conservative guy, which is, you know, a pretty fertile row to hoe if you're in politics in 2021 i do think that there's that like lauren bobert and marjorie taylor green are the sort of people that like if they weren't in congress would be like getting in screaming arguments with other patrons at panera <laughs> like they're not normal like well-balanced people right you know? and i think that crenshaw sees himself as like maybe not a statesman but not like that right you know that like he can go to AutoZone without having to pull a firearm on someone like and that's like a very low bar, but I'm really not sure that like Marjorie Taylor Greene could get through a normal retail experience without like dialing nine one one or threatening. So <laughs> I think you're absolutely right on that. Hey, I want to thank you so much too for uh, getting us together uh, with Drew McGarry. Loved his book and loved having him on the show. Yeah, I'm glad you got to. I think the book is fantastic. I mean, I'm biased because he's my friend and we do the podcast together and stuff. But it was really. Uh, it was a nice reminder, like, first of all, I mean, uh, how scarily close he came to dying mm. in a fluky accident. But then just, like, how much work he did to get back to just being sort of, like, a normal, slightly calmer version of the person I became friends with. Like, I wasn't in it, and I didn't see how hard that was, but he put a lot of work into it. It's all on the page. I recommend the book. That's yeah, fantastic. People. But I'm glad you guys talked. I feel like that's... There's a, a main connection there that had been waiting a really long time to be uh, done, and I'm glad that you were able to close that circuit. Oh, we appreciate your help. Uh, speaking of Maine, are you uh, coming up at all for the holidays? Yes. Christmas is booked. We are looking forward to it. We've already uh, made, like, we're trying to basically do the most practical type of shopping that we can do for uh, my father-in-law and my you know wife's dad. It's very hard. Obviously, it involves beans, but it's like a question of like mostly it does because like we know that if the gloves we get him, if he's like these aren't practical enough, like they have like <laughs> some fabric on them, then like he could always go there and just get something more ridiculous. 
And that's important for us. Like, I think we've managed to get some stuff that he will eventually either use or exchange for something he uses. And by no means is that a given in any year. So I'm looking forward to being up there too, obviously. Just nice not to be in New York City ever, but like I've really come to, I don't know, it's not as white as it used to be, but Christmas in Maine is still pretty uh, pleasant to behold. Absolutely. Well, hope you have a great holiday season. Always fun to catch up with you, David. We appreciate it. And we'll check in with you again in the brand new, uh, infinitely better year that's coming. Right on. Thanks for it, guys. And have a good holiday to yourself. I'll see you later. That is the always great David Roth of Defector.com and the Distraction Podcast. We'll take a quick break for a word from Cross Insurance. And when we return, we'll discuss the Baseball Hall of Fame with author Jay Jaffe. Cooperstown Casebook and writer for Fangraphs as well, next on Downtown. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit crossinsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Back on Downtown, the podcast. Well, the ballots are out there for this year's Baseball Hall of Fame. Who will get in? Who should get in? We talked about that and more with Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs, the author of the Cooperstown Casebook. Hey, Rich, how you doing? Doing well, thanks. Great to have you with us this afternoon for uh, what I call, some people call it Hall of Fame season. I, I just call it Jaffe season. <laughs> uh, I'm flattered that people think of think of me when they think of a Hall of Fame season. Unfortunately, this one is probably not going to be uh, everyone's favorite uh, election cycle uh, in, in this process. Well, let's talk about what's happened already. The uh, ERA committees got together and uh, made several selections. Uh, no disagreements with anybody that that went in or is going in, but uh, some omissions once again. And uh, I know, like you, very frustrated here not to see Dick Allen get in. Yeah, the you know the 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 Dick Allen omission I I, I found just almost heartbreaking. I mean, he uh, would have been uh, considered last year if not for the postponement due to uh, uh, the, the the COVID pandemic, uh, and then he died one day after that election would have taken place. Um, you know, posthumous elections. Uh, it's it, it's kind of a double edged sword. I mean, it's great that that uh, that somebody gets honored. Uh, it's sad that they're not there to 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 to, uh, to enjoy the honor themselves. I mean, we saw that with you know with Buck O'Neill uh, getting elected this year, with Minnie Minoso getting elected this year. Um, obviously, Gil Hodges has been dead a long time, but uh, uh, still, uh, you know, after the fact. And and so, you know, for Alan not to get in this year, it's still just a, kind of a double blow because his family. Uh, and friends wanted it so badly for him and and uh, just wish they could have found room for, for one more. Uh, some other guys that uh, were overlooked. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Cannonball Redding as one of those guys that maybe could have gone in? Yeah, you know, the, the Negro Leagues candidates and pre-Negro Leagues black baseball candidates were fascinating, and I learned so much writing about them. Redding was uh, one of the top pitchers uh, starting in the, in the early teens and uh, – uh, carrying on into the uh, the, the formal uh, Negro Leagues era after 1920, uh, fa- you know, good fastball pitcher, 
dominant uh, on a lot of barnstorming teams. And uh, uh, really, you know, I think he's he, he's on the top tier of, of Negro League pitchers, according to many experts, uh, right there alongside guys like Satchel Page uh, and uh, uh, Smokey Joe Williams and, and Hilton Smith, who are in the Hall of Fame. Um, just a shame that uh, that he got overlooked. Um, gratifying that Buck O'Neill got in, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's terrible that they're going to have to wait another 10 years um, as currently scheduled to, re- to, to uh, uh, reconsider these other candidates because there's so, so much great research going on in the area of uh, uh, Negro Leagues baseball that uh, it would be a shame to squander that interest, um, you know, by waiting a whole decade. Yeah, another guy I was fascinated to learn more about, uh, Grant Homerun Johnson. Yeah, another one from the from the pre-Negro Leagues era, uh, started playing around the turn of the century. Didn't hit a ton of home runs in uh, the, uh, the the games for which we have box scores, but but did hit a lot in uh, um, in barnstorming. He's kind of like kind of like home run Baker. Um, the home run totals that he put up are modest by today's standard, but in the dead ball era, they were they were really something. I really enjoyed the, the podcast last week when you uh, talked about the 42 for 21 committee. Can you explain the work that they're doing? Yeah, this is um, this is an effort headed by uh, Sean Gibson, who's uh, Josh Gibson's great-grandson. Uh, he's the executive director of the Josh Gibson Foundation. Um, uh, and uh, uh, Gary Gillette, uh, who's a, a well-known researcher and, and author within the uh, baseball community, and Ted Knorr, uh, a researcher, uh, specializing in Negro Leagues uh, stuff. And they've determined, you know, that, that um, even if the Hall of Fame were to elect 42 players from uh, 42 players and other candidates from the from the Negro Leagues and pre-Negro Leagues era, uh, it would not, uh, the, the representation from that era would still be below that of, of, of the white players from that. Uh, and, and basically they're calling upon the Hall to do just what I said, to, uh, uh, accelerate their consideration of uh, of these candidates, not wait another 10 years, not squander what Gary called the golden age uh, of Negro Leagues research. And, and uh, uh, they're conducting a poll of experts uh, to identify the top 42 such candidates. doesn't mean every single one of them uh, should be elected, I don't think. But, uh, uh, you know, really, if you talk to experts, you know that there's probably somewhere from a dozen to two dozen that are really very good candidates. This ballot um, had some of them, but but there were there were experts in that area who were just as surprised. There were candidates such as uh, uh, Dick Lundy uh, and Rap Dixon who were left off, who, who many feel are, are as worthy as, as some of the some of the players uh, who uh, were con- up, up for consideration. We're talking with Jay Jaffe here on Downtown. Let's uh, talk a little bit about this year's writer's ballot. Obviously, I appear a lot of interest uh, in David Ortiz. What are some of the factors that might work against him this year? Well, the you know the uh, the DH factor is is one of them. Uh, many voters of you know are still coming around to the idea that that a designated hitter can be uh, worthy of hall hall consideration. It took Edgar Martinez getting in. He's he's the uh, uh, he had took 72% of his plate appearances as a DH. Uh, uh, Ortiz took 88% of his as a DH, where Martinez was a competent third baseman beforehand. Ortiz was a pretty dicey first baseman uh, when he wasn't playing. So he produced less value than, than than Edgar Martinez did during the regular season. So the advanced stats kind of work against him. Obviously, big counting stats, starting with the 500-plus home runs, uh, the three, the three uh, uh, championships, 
He was reportedly on the 2003 survey test list, so uh, for testing positive for a PED. Uh, that was reported by the New York Times in 2009. One of a handful of players, uh, Manny Ramirez, Alex Rodriguez, and Sammy Sosa, were others who were similarly reported. Um, you know, for, for voters who, who have a, a zero-tolerance policy, uh, that could work against him. Uh, but it's worth noting that Rob Manford himself uh, all but exonerated uh, Ortiz in 2016 during his farewell tour, said that there were a number of uh, uh, cases among those survey test uh, positives that would have been um, further arbitrated and, and to determine whether those were, in fact, uh, substances that were, that were illegal. There were some uh, that were still available in over-the-counter supplements, and, and uh, um, had this been a... Uh, a, a uh, had, had real suspensions been on the line, uh, they would have resolved that uh, one way or another. And I think what Manfred was saying is that, uh, uh, you know, voters shouldn't judge Ortiz too harshly on that one. Uh, now, in your profile uh, on Fangraphs, uh, you mentioned the fact that Jaws doesn't take into account the ridiculous numbers that Ortiz put up in postseason. How much might that factor in to help his candidacy? Yeah, I, look, I think that that it it could be you know the, the difference maker for Ortiz because I mean flags fly forever. Uh, a team that wins three championships in in the span of uh, uh, a decade is certainly a, a notable one. Uh, you know, it's tough to tell the story of baseball history without uh, uh, without David Ortiz in there and 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 his efforts for the Red Sox. So I suspect sooner or later that will carry the day. Um, you know, I don't know that that's going to uh, result in first ballot induction, but uh, um, I do think he's got a decent chance this year, especially uh, uh, in a year when we might not otherwise get a, a candidate elected by the writers. Uh, when you look at the first timers on the ballot this year, Jay, other, other than Ortiz and obviously uh, Alex, uh, Alex Rodriguez, are there any of these first time guys that have uh, a pretty good case to get in, if not on this ballot, then in the next few years? Um, you know, one who stands out to me besides obviously Alex Rodriguez and he's got the positive test and, and suspension against against his name is Joe Nathan. Um, Billy Wagner has been building momentum uh, towards election. He got 46 percent uh, or so last year. Uh, Joe Nathan has pretty strong, uh, a pretty strong case that's similar to Wagner, a little bit longer uh, in terms of duration, a little bit less dominant uh, than, than Wagner. But I have the two. Uh, I think they're seventh and eighth on my list of relievers. Uh, when you consider there's only eight relievers in the hall, and some of them are well below that in in, in the rankings that I uh, of the uh, what I'm now calling reliever jaws that I use, uh, kind of a, a, a newish uh, twist on my metric. Um, I think that that he's uh, he's got a strong case. Prince Fielder's got some interesting numbers. Uh, in in his case, is it simply too brief a career to really give him a good shot? Yeah, Prince Fielder put up big numbers, but you know his defense was wasn't wasn't very good, and so his overall value was uh, was not what you'd expect for a guy capable of putting up thirty, forty, even fifty home runs. Uh, too bad about his 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 uh, uh, neck injury, and and uh, you know I I really enjoyed watching him for you know for a good long time there, but uh, um, you know I I don't know that we're that that uh, uh, the injury necessarily derived deprived him of a Hall of Fame uh, berth. Do you think this is the year that Scott Rowland finally gets in? I think he's going to come close. Um, he would need, I think, the fifth largest jump uh, of the uh, the, the post-1966 uh, era when, when voters have voted annually, uh, about 22.1 uh, percentage gain 
to get to 75 percent, but he's well on his way. You know, he 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 debuted with just 10, a little over 10 percent uh, in his first year. By his fourth year, is about 50 percent, and that generally bodes very well uh, for a candidate's eventual election. Uh, of the three guys in their last year on the ballot, Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling, uh, any or all get in this year? What do you think? No, I, I think Bonds and Clemens have effectively been neutralized by the Joe Morgan letter from a few years ago. They've only gained um, a few points in the last in the last four cycles. There, uh, I don't see there being a uh, um, uh, a mass uh, uh, movement uh, for people to change their minds. Voters have been pretty have, have pretty much dug in their heels on those on those guys. And as for Schilling, you know, he sabotaged his candidacy over and over again. Uh, I was pretty amazed he didn't get in last year. And then, you know, his speaking out uh, uh, in favor of the uh, uh, the uh, insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th, mm. uh, his comparison of Dr. Fauci to a Nazi, uh, just all these just things that are just, you know, clearly well over the line of, of, of uh, you know, of uh, uh, what we expect from our athletes. I mean, you know, he's free to speak his mind and we're, you know, we're free to, we're free to, uh, um, you know, apply consequences to that. Uh, in my case, I, you know, I just cannot envision giving Kurt Schilling a platform uh, to uh, share his conspiracy theories and his, his, his prejudices with, with people. Um, he even went to the point, uh, to, to the point of asking to be off the ballot so he right. could avoid the consequences <laughs> for his actions. We've seen a lot more transparency in recent years of voters sharing their ballot. Is that a good thing for the process? I, you know, I think so. I, I, I prefer the accountability. I, I you know, I'm somebody who obviously is, uh, has uh, um, made my bones in, in, in pushing for a more transparent process and, and uh, um, you know, writing as much as I can about the candidates and hoping that, that people will justify uh, their decisions one way or another with, with some explanations and being able to seize on those explanations and, you know, show why, you know, they're, they're, they hold water or don't, um, you know, the BBWA wanted every ballot to be published, just like all the awards, the, the voting for the awards, uh, uh, stuff, but the hall of fame, uh, has given voters cover to, uh, to conceal their ballots. Jay, away from the hall of fame for a moment, what, what's your level of optimism in regard to labor peace and the chances of a 2022 season starting on time. Well, you know, I think we're. I think it's going to be a while before we get any movement. But um, I, I do think what you know, my 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 most likely scenario is that they'll come to a resolution in time to open camps. Maybe not exactly on schedule, but uh, close enough. I think you know what the owners will get out of that is the ability to squeeze a lot of free agents to making quick decisions. Uh, once the lockout is lifted and hope to catch, uh, you know, players, uh, you know, unsigned players in, in a moment of desperation. I don't think it's a very good tactic, uh, but I think that to me, that's the most likely outcome here. Uh, there's too much money at stake uh, to lose more games to, to it, to inaction. Um, you know, but I think it's going to be a, a, a tough winter. Uh, for those of us who make our money in the in, mm. in the uh, uh, industry and and hoping to find uh, uh, actual baseball news to keep us uh, keep the keep the hot stove lit, always have to ask you about the beer, Jay. How did you enjoy that winter welcome ale you had recently? Oh, you know that was a nice one. It's been a while since I've had that. Uh, 
Uh, you know, as as the local craft beers have gotten better distribution, it's kind of it's kind of squeezed some of the old standbys like Sam Smith off the shelves. Uh, but I really like that one. Also, really like the Br- Brooklyn Black Ops mm. uh, Four Roses version in a can. It's a Russian Russian Imperial Stout. Um, always been a fan of of, of it. Uh, uh, look for it every year from 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 Brooklyn Brewing, and and that one is is strong and. Uh, uh, this one is, is it, it comes in uh, aged in bourbon barrels mm. and uh, produces quite uh, quite an effect. That sounds great. Uh, Jay Jaffe, check out his wonderful work at Fangraphs. If you haven't read it, why not get your hands on a copy of the Cooperstown Casebook? Jay, it's always great to talk with you. I, do I thank you or do I say so long, suckers? <laughs> uh, thanks it's always good to talk Jay Jaffe author of the Cooperstown Casebook Talking Baseball Hall of Fame with us our thanks to Jay thanks to David Roth of Defector but of course thanks to you for being with us this week spread the word tell your friends subscribe post a great review all those things would be appreciated also join us next time we remind you that downtown is brought to you by Cross Insurance where security meets strength for Carrie Haskell I'm Rich Kimball and this is downtown <laughs>